Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Beautiful day, yogis. This is Andrew Seeley, and welcome to the Yoga Revealed podcast. Today we talk with Dylan Warner, a body movement specialist, an inversion artist, and an avid international yoga teacher whose physical practice is a mere reflection of his deep internal journey of self-discovery. I wanted to live a more harmonious life. I wanted to learn how to connect to myself, to my body, to my breath, and then in turn connect to everything else in my universe. Be prepared to dive deep and take the leap on this episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast with Dylan Warner. Um, so I'm stoked to have you on, Dylan. Thank you. I'm stoked to be on. Dope. Um, so basically, I, I kind of want to go back to like when you first started yoga, like, and maybe even before that, like when you first started movement. Because I, I remember you saying that you know you did some wrestling at a time. Kind of give me like your your timeline of growing up and some of the movement that you've done in the past. So I grew up kind of, and even though I have seven little brothers and sisters, I come from a really big family because I came come from a divorced family. I really grew up as an only child, and uh, so a lot of time alone by myself, which is the definition of alone, I guess. <laughs> uh, but I remember that my first, like I I had the Hulkamania Hulkster workout thing, which was this work, it was a, a workout poster and it had some three pound plastic weights that were just like filled with concrete and uh, a, a Hulkamania, Hulkster workout tape. And so I would sit in my room and I'd do these, <laughs> these Hulkamania workouts at like four or five years old, you know, just this little kid and you're a little Hulk right there, man. I was, uh, I just, I don't know. I wanted to be strong. I think, I think very little. I always wanted to be big, and my parents both being very short. My mom's five two. My dad's five five. Uh, I didn't have much hope of of ever being a tall person, <laughs> but I don't think my parents ever wanted wanted me to know that. But I was like, I wanted to be big and strong and kind of superhero like and when when I was a kid if you asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up I, t- I would tell you I wanted to be a hero wow. you know I just wanted to like save the day and I think that's um 
always stuck with me because I do have like a bit of a hero complex. Uh, what do you mean by that? A hero complex, like I want to be, like in a very everyday sense, like I want to be the one that's there for you, mm-hmm. right? I want to be the one that my friends and family can trust to rely on. That if they need help out of a situation, I'm the first person that, that they think of. You know, uh, I mean that feeds my ego a bit of who I am, but it's also like of how I built a lot of my values of who I am also. It's just like, uh, you know, I, when I was 18, I joined the Marine Corps. You know, I was a paramedic for eight years. I was a firefighter for four years. Uh, I, after the Marine Corps, I was a youth pastor. I've always been in like this kind of just wanting to help people and lift them up. So that was like my hero complex. I think when I was littler, I more wanted a cape and like fly around and stuff. <laughs> I didn't quite understand it, but it was somewhere, somewhere all along the same lines. What do you think was at the core of that wanting to help people or wanting to, to be kind of like the, the supportive person that people could trust and always count on? Um, I had a really hard childhood. And like I said, even though I was the oldest, I grew up alone. And I grew up with a very abusive stepmother who would, uh, she was an alcoholic and a drug addict, and she would uh, abuse me physically, like from like five until I was probably big enough to fight back, uh, which was a long time because I didn't get very big very fast. <laughs> and, um, and just a dad that was always gone. You know, he, uh, yeah. he, I don't even know. If, he wasn't really in the picture. He was around, but not really. Like, he sold cars. So he'd wake up at 10 or 11 in the afternoon and then and then go to work and come back at midnight. And I didn't really ever see him. He just kind of worked all the time. And then when he was home, he would just be in his room uh, smoking weed all day. It was kind of his thing. Wow. So I grew up without, really with no physical contact no love, no anything from anybody, and it reflected a, who I was as a, as, a, as a person outside of that, because I was just like, uh, I needed attention, and so I would just ask for it in all the wrong ways, and I'd fight everybody, and I was a, not a cool kid, I was just a, I was very much like the loser dork that no one ever wanted to hang out with. And that was kind of like, really until high school, like even through junior high, just like I was the ostracized kid that that no one liked. Um, Did you play any sports or were you just kind of in your own zone doing your own thing? So like I remember uh, like always wanting to do sports. I always wanted to like play baseball or soccer or anything else like that. And I always asked to and I was never had any support in that so I didn't but I was able to get into like club wrestling and stuff in junior high I was like 10 11 years old so I started wrestling mm-hmm. a little bit there and it was good for me because I mean I was I really was like a little kid when I was a freshman in high school I was five foot two and I weighed 88 pounds wow so I mean just really small and so wrestling was, was good because there was weight classes and stuff, and for my size, I was just like 
I was really strong. Like uh, junior high, set the district record for pull-ups and push-ups and sit-ups. Uh, anything that was body weight, I would. I didn't weigh anything, so I yeah. just kill. That. <laughs> uh, and wrestling, I did really good. I mean, I. I, re- I once I got into it, I really succeeded and then my sophomore year I put on some weight I think I graduated high school at like 125 uh, wrestled I wrestled one I wrestled 125 my senior year uh, when I graduated from the Marine Corps graduated when I got out of boot camp in the Marine Corps I, I got out at 145 wow so you definitely put on some weight yeah. in the Marine Corps yeah I started wrestling for the All-Marine team. I got up to 170. I was benching 325. Um, I was... I was actually... was a vegetarian then, too. Really? Yeah, when, at, my, when I was at... My most weight is when I was a vegetarian. What and, were you eating, mostly? Like, what was your diet consisting of? A lot of eggs and protein and um, a lot of cabbage a lot of broccoli uh, basic greens basic greens a lot of spinach a lot of I don't know I just ate all the time but I and then you worked out a lot and then I worked out your regimen was probably pretty rigorous yeah I mean my my normal routine when I was wrestling for the all-marine team was I would ride my bike about 10 miles to the to on base because I lived off base then I'd work out in the gym power lift for like two hours and I'd wrestle for two hours sometimes swim or run after that and then ride my bike home and then after that I'd get in my car and I'd drive to Redlands where I was kind of from and I would do two martial arts classes back to back and that put me about seven eight at night and then I'd drive back and get up the next morning so that was every day I was wrestling and doing martial arts. And would you say that the Marines helped you become very disciplined in your your regimen? Yeah, I think I just I was so competitive with myself, and I always have been. I always wanted to be like the best at, at everything I've ever done. I've always had this drive to be the best. And I know that's very like ego driven, but it's not necessarily like the sense of where you think, like, the best isn't, like, better than everyone else. Though in wrestling, like, I wanted to be better than everyone else. And, you know, I pretty much went undefeated um, for two years until I'd get to the levels where I'd have people that were first and second in the Olympics were, were the only ones that could beat me. Wow. You know, and I probably would have con- continued doing wrestling and stuff except for uh, my last year I got sent to Iraq and um, after that, I was just like, I'm done with the Marine Corps. I'm done wrestling. I just want to go back and try to continue on with my life in a normal way. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? About that circumstance of the like, Marine Corps having to go into full action and be called to serve your country? Yeah. Okay. So I joined the Marine Corps in '99. Right after I graduated high school, I had some recruiter tell me that I could jump out of helicopters and uh, be, a hero. Like, be a hero. I was like, that <laughs> sounds fun. Uh, Clinton was the president at the time. I didn't have any idea of going to war. I didn't, you know, for some reason, like going to war and joining the Marines, those two just like, it 
they didn't go together. Yeah. Like, I didn't think I'd join the Marine Corps and then go to war. Like, because uh, my whole life there was, I mean, there was, like, Safety. The, there yeah. was really no, there was really no wars that went on or anything like that. We just, it wasn't that type of world. Mm-hmm. And so it was more just, like, go in the Marine Corps and do a bunch of fun boy stuff. And, and I wanted to be a firefighter and ended up being a firefighter in the Marine Corps. Uh, I did crash fire rescue. Though, most of the time, I wasn't at my job. I was on the wrestling team. So okay. most of my time in the Marine Corps, I spent on the wrestling team. Uh, I only went off the wrestling team when they pulled me and deployed me to Iraq, which I actually got deployed as a sergeant uh, with a ton of people underneath me, even though I hadn't been in my job. But because the way that you get promoted is based on how well you can shoot a gun, how long you've been in your job, and your physical fitness test. <laughs> you know, and you also get a score of like how well you do your job while I was wrestling and I was one of the top in the world and so I got top marks, you know, wow. much higher like than you would get in your normal job. I was really good with a I was really good good with a rifle, with an M sixteen, and my my physical fitness score was maxed out, three hundred. So I got promoted really fast. I mean I was I was a corporal in an E4 corporal in under two years. I was a sergeant in under three. Two and a half years, I picked up E5, which people, you know, takes them normally like six or seven years to pick up that rank. So I went over to Iraq at 21 years old as a kid with all these people underneath me. And, um, I mean, like anything, it was an experience. Yeah. You know, uh, I was one of the first forces, the first people... In Iraq, we actually, I went in in January 2003. I was involved in an invasion in March of 2003. I was in Iraq for a total of 30 days during the war. And then when it was over, you know, that was when mission accomplished and all that. We thought we were done. Came back, was in Kuwait for a couple more months, and then got separated and got out of the Marine Corps. You know, so it's like I was there during the the very start, the invasion, the the shock and awe. I know you're 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 a little bit younger, so you mm-hmm. don't really remember that so much. But the the whole thing is, we went over there doing a air ground, um, like they called it shock and awe. Basically, they're just gonna blow the shit out of them with mm-hmm. a bunch of bombs and stuff. And I think that's a horrible way to to go in anything. But I was I was in that. I remember I spent. 30 days in modified Mop 4, which is your chemical warfare gear. So basically, I was in the desert at 130 degrees wearing um, full chemical uh, full chemical suit with rubber booties, charcoal pants, charcoal top, and a gas mask. Wow. You know, doing, running in the body. It was, it was an interesting time, if anything. But uh, Did it teach you a lot? I mean, it definitely, like anything, uh, Khalil Gibran, or Khalil Gibran, I don't know how I say his name right, he wrote The Prophet, he says that sorrow carves out our being so that there's room for joy to fill it. So, if anything, it taught me what, what the low was, right? And many times in my life I've learned what, like, uh, what bottom feels like, yeah. right? And I feel like the deeper that you could come to bottom, the more that you could realize how perfect and how wonderful and how beautiful 
life is and joy is and how happy you can be. It's to understand yin, you have to understand yang, you know, and to fully understand one, you have to know the depths of the other. Mm -hmm. So if anything, it taught me what that depth was, right? And so by being in such a, a awful experience, I really was able to grow a lot as a person to understand, you know, both sides of the coin. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and like anything, through time you tend to forget. Like every time you, you know, it's like we constantly have to be reminded of how bad things can get mm -hmm. for us to appreciate how good things are. And even if you go through the worst situation in the world, I, I feel like, you know, karma, life, whatever, God, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. will again show us like how bad things could be so that we could really appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate right. the beauty of things as yeah. well. Yeah. So when were you um, introduced to yoga? So I was first introduced to yoga in 2001 when I was still in the Marine Corps and I was wrestling and then I was also getting heavy into martial arts. Mm -hmm. And part of my martial arts training, one day a week we did yoga, but it was yoga in the sense that um, very much just asana. Just calisthenics. Like I, I can, I think asana without the rest of yoga is calisthenics, right? Totally. And a lot of the stuff that I do might look like calisthenics, but because I understand what yoga is, I know that it's not calisthenics, and I know that it's yoga. But regardless of that, <laughs> it was called yoga, and we'd be in boat pose, and my my sensei, you know, 65, 70 years old, just badass, would walk around, just like, ho, 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 and then he'll kick you in the stomach, like, be like, oh, oh, and then just, he'll kick you. And that was, that was my introduction to yoga. And while you were in boat pose. While I was in boat pose, so he'd come by and he'll kick us. Do you ever teach like that? Uh, just, you know, if I don't think you're doing it right, you know. But, I mean, we did some warriors, and cobra pose, and I, you know, it was like, but there was no Sanskrit, there was no philosophy or anything like that. It was very much just basic, you know, just basic, asana. basic asana, which I don't even know if I could consider asana yoga without the rest. But that was my first introduction to it, uh, and I liked it because, you know, flexibility helped me with everything else. <laughs> but then it wasn't until like years later. Uh, about nine years later, uh, before I right right before I turned thirty, I was I was twenty nine. Uh, a couple months before, I wanted to go out and like meet girls, and I thought <laughs> I thought yoga would be a good place. I don't, so we all come to we all come to the mat for a different reason. You know, some people come to the mat for. Uh, to get flexible, some people to get healthy, to get strong, to get centered. But what I found in my experience and in my students is whatever brings us to the mat is the one that keeps us there, right? We, because I don't really feel like anybody that starts yoga understands what yoga is, mm -hmm. you know? So it's not like I haven't really met anybody that they're like, I started yoga because I wanted to become enlightened. 
you know, like <laughs> I wanted to live a more harmonious life. I wanted to learn how to connect to myself, to my body, to my breath, and then in turn connect to everything else in my universe. I've, I've never heard that from anybody that said, why did you come to yoga? It was to connect to the universe. Yeah. You know? So yeah, my, mine wasn't any better than that was just like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of really cute girls in yoga. And I think this was it be, a friend who brought you. Yeah, it was a friend. It was a, it was a female friend that I wasn't necessarily interested in, but she's like, she's like, come to this class. And I went, I took it. It was a power yoga class. It was hot. I was in the back corner. I had no idea what I was doing, but I was strong it was level two, three, and I could do handstands. And I was like, dude, this is really fun. This is really cool. I didn't understand any of the yoga part, but I liked the physical part of it. And I was like, this is something that I could get into and do. And I, because I was new at it, I felt really intimidated and all the girls were like so good at it, you know? So I didn't really talk to them, to any girls. Though I did end up meeting my fiance days later you know, really? in that class, yeah. Yeah, Ashley was in that class. Ashley was in that class. Wow. And um, that's the only girl I ever met in yoga. Wow, so, that's crazy. So I I did get in it to meet girls. I met a girl, and she's been with me my entire yoga career. And but like after, I mean, after my first day, like my my perspective on what yoga was and what I wanted to do with yoga totally changed. Uh, no time did I ever think it'd be my life or did I ever want to teach it or, you know. So tell me when that shift happened between actually going to yoga and then maybe embodying it into your lifestyle or was it a, a teacher who drew you to it or was it the feeling that you got from it? What, like, was the thing that clicked with you that allowed you to get beyond just the asana practice and more so into the eight limbs. Right. So I was a firefighter paramedic at the time. I don't, I, I had basically just made it off my probation year. So I'd been a firefighter for like one year. Um, and at that time it was like, I started taking another teacher who was really good and kind of opened up the doors to more more of the asana, but also more of what's behind it and stuff. So I started to develop a connection. And I mean, that's all yoga is, is, is just a connection. And because of all the stuff that I'd seen in my life and then being a paramedic and dealing with life and death every day and someone that really enjoys like the philosophy, you know, to, to maintain balance in my life. Like it really just spoke to me. I just wanted to practice it though. I never wanted to teach it. Mm -hmm. Ashley, she had been doing yoga for about a year longer than I had, uh, super flexible and stuff, but she was a hairstylist and she wanted to teach. And I had my career. I was making really good money. I owned a home. I was like set, you know, but I really wanted to support her, and with my job, I was able to get time off. So I took, you know, I took a month off, and we went to a training. Just didn't know anything about who taught it, where it was. Basically, we chose it because it was uh, affordable, and it was short. <laughs> right? Two good things. You're Two like, good okay, things. I, I, was like, I was like, and it was close. It was in Baja, Mexico. 
So it was close, it was affordable, and it was a 16-day training, you know, for the 200 hours, just a total immersion program. So it's like, sweet, this is it. We'll go, we signed up, we took it. Like, I just wanted to support her. We went there, and that's when I met Shane Christopher Perkins, who... um, This is your teacher? This is my teacher. And uh, he's, you know, a couple years older than me. I think he's, like, around... 38, uh, just the most amazing person I've ever met, and his asana practice is amazing, you know, he could do, he's as, as strong as me and as flexible as Ashley, you know, it's like, yeah. just, and the most humble, down-to-earth person, and when he looks at you, he looks at you, mm-hmm. you know, when he hugs you, he loves you, and it's just, everything is about who you are and he cares, and it's unconditional, and he's on another level than I've ever met anybody else in my life. You know, he's just that. uh, And him and I, like, I had a total, like, man crush on him, (laughs) right? Just, like, I respected him so much and who he was as a person and how he conducted himself and... um, how he spoke and how he interacted and it was just like he had something that I couldn't put a finger on that wasn't tangible but it was very real and um, we just we hit it off and you know we had great talks and stuff over my 16 day training and basically like he said, he told like him and this the, the other teacher that was teaching us she she was leaving it was his girlfriend at the time and she was moving to New York to go uh, teach with Dharma Mitra she um, so but she said basically to me like I could have her spot when she leaves like that's like that's how she felt about me as a teacher right wow. which blew me away and Christopher saw the same thing in me too. And, uh, you know, like this was, uh, the training was was not asana-based, right? Most people think I come from a very asana-based background based on my practice, but Mm -hmm. I did a vision quest in my training. We fasted for 24 hours. We did transformational breathing. Um, Majority of it was based around meditation and pranayama, the yoga sutras, uh, philosophy, you know, every other day we would sit in a circle and we would talk. We would just ask, we would just, you know, hold space and we'd go through and just one question we asked, you know, no matter what it was, it, was, it could be something that's just like, how do you feel? And through that, it's like two hours almost every day or every other day, learn to break down through the layers to get past where we live which is on the superficial level mm-hmm. right then we would get down into basically why we live on the superficial level is because underneath that's our vulnerable level right yeah and this is such a hard place and where we try to stay out of but then we try to go past that vulnerability to a level which is emptiness Right. This is where, like, after we get past vulnerability, we realize that it's just nothing. It's just empty shell. Mm-hmm. Right? Hollow. But then once you get past that, then you realize that it's not empty. It's actually full. 
right? It's like a, like a glass, you know? If you fill a glass of water, and you pour it out, all that water, and then you just have the glass, and you look inside there, and you say that glass is empty. It's filled with space. It's filled with space, with air, with what we need most in life. I mean, there's, there's something in there. And so that's like, when we really go down through who we are, we find that. And it was something that like I'd never experienced before. And I was like, this is what yoga is. Mm. Right? And I found a connection to myself and I found a connection to people and to the universe and where I fit and it made sense. And after that, I was like, I'm teaching yoga. <laughs> you knew. I knew. And so went back and I started teaching, you know, just three days a week. Um, Where'd you first start teaching? Started teaching in this little studio in Redlands. Uh, you know, and I, I had like a class, uh, just did it on the side while I was still still being a firefighter. And I started to really develop a, a, a strong personal practice and was just in love with yoga. I would leave my house at one or noon to drive down to LA to get to a class by four to take a yoga class and then drive back, you know, like I was, I was all into it and just... Whose class did you used to go to? I used to take Brock at Yogi's Anonymous. Oh, wow. Back in the day. Back in the day. So Ashley and I would go down, even if you, if you go to Yogi's Anonymous online and go to like the old Brock classes, you'll see Ashley and I, <laughs> like if you go back, like way back. So, um... Yeah, and then after that, I six months after uh, Ashley and I got invited to Bali to teach a teacher training with Christopher and another one of the trainers. Wow, so that was so, like a huge honor, I'm sure. Yeah, because this was like my teacher, and then he's like, he had, so, he just you know he had so much respect. He's like will you come and teach a teacher training? I would like, I just graduated, you know, mm -hmm. but he saw something that was in me and he's, you know, probably taught a hundred teacher trainings. You know, it's, uh, Yandara was one of the first teacher trainings, uh, to be recognized. Right. If I think it was the first teacher training to be recognized by yoga Alliance. Wow. So what is it called? Yandara. Yandara. Yeah. So they're based in Baja. They have trainings in, in Bali and in Hawaii. So they invited us and we taught our first teacher training, you know, yoga teacher for six months teaching. And it was, it was pretty amazing. After that training, um, you know, I went back and I was still a firefighter and stuff. I ended up getting laid off from the fire department. So You were we, doing pretty well, though. I was doing really well. As soon as I got laid off, I ended up going back to Mexico and teaching another teacher training. Okay. So how did you feel teaching these teacher trainings? I mean, like, being that... Well, at that time, I had been teaching for, like, a year longer. Cool. cool. Right, so I felt a lot better. I felt a lot more confident. Um, so I think it went... I think it went a lot better. Though I've, I felt like the, even the first teacher trains because a lot of what I taught was just yoga. I mean, and it was what you knew. It's what I knew. And my background was in anatomy. And I had 12 years of body movement, right? Mm -hmm. 
I understood, like, I understood how the body moves, how the body works. I mean, that's why I could do what I could do with such short, short amount of time. It's like, yeah, I've been practicing yoga for four and a half years, but I've been practicing body movement since I was four years old, mm-hmm. you know? And so even though I wasn't doing handstands and arm balances, I knew what core stability versus core strength was. I knew what straight arm scapular strength was. I knew how to move the hips and all that. So I had all these these concepts and I understood what a pose could could be. Like like how you can take a person deeper into a pose. Not what a pose could look like, but like what a pose could how a pose could affect a person. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I understood that already. I didn't need to do yoga for 10 years to understand that. I already did. So teaching people uh, was easy. And then I had my my guru, my mentor, alongside me for my first teacher training. And, you know, I, I just I learned so much more from that. So um, when I, you know, when I got laid off and I taught another teacher training, it was, it was natural. It felt good. Um, you know, my students were very grateful and they, they loved the balance that, that I brought, you know, compared to like the other teachers, which like I said, is a very spiritual, you know, and I brought a lot more of the asana stuff because that's where I learned to find my spirituality. You know, that's where mm-hmm. I find my meditation. Through the asana, you Through the asana. gain that connection, and then therefore your spirituality blossoms. Right. So it's not just the meditation, the pranayama, like, but learning how to connect the three. So, yeah. And then um, I got hired back on. I got back two months in Mexico teaching teacher training, so I taught a couple of them. <laughs> it was got like back. a rite of passage. I got, I got <laughs> back, and I got my job offered back to me and it was like cool but because I was laid off through our MOUs I was placed back on probation I'd already been a firefighter for four years and so now they put me on a six month probation like I'm a brand new probie and I was with a captain who for whatever reason didn't like me you know but I mean like you worked together four years it was a small department he didn't like the fact that I was a yogi I was uh, very much into doing my own thing which is not the fire department way at all. Like, I like to be in my room and read. Or instead of working out and lifting weights, I like to do a yoga practice, you know. Mm-hmm. He didn't like that about me. Um, and so at the day before my six-month probation was over, he, uh, actually he wasn't even there, that I show up basically thinking that I am done with my probation now. Um, the three chiefs were there. They sat me down and said that they're letting me go because I'm not a good fit for the department. Wow. And I'm like, what does that mean? Like, how my, my paramedic skills aren't good? No, your paramedic skills are fine. Like, am I not a good firefighter? No, you're fine as a firefighter. We just don't feel that you, you know, your captain gave you not passing scores for your probation. He says that you just, you're not a fit for this department. I'm like, well, what are you talking I've been here for four years mm-hmm. you know and I got the only reason why I'm in this is because of fine and it's just like well wow. sorry so I got in my car cried on the way home you know this is something that like 
I went to college for, you yeah, know, medic so school, 10 years to, like, become a firefighter. It's like that was what I wanted to do. Uh, even though a year before that, I, I decided that it wasn't a good fit for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be a firefighter. So I think they were 100% right saying I wasn't a good fit for the department, you know? But I didn't want them to tell me that. Yeah. I wanted I wanted to be on my own terms, but... Uh, it wasn't my path and so I was like okay I have a house I have a mortgage I don't have any other skills you know I'm a paramedic and a firefighter that's all I ever did Um, you had to figure out exactly what your next step was I had no idea so I was like okay unemployment thanks Obama Uh, (laughs) I'll just go on unemployment (laughs) so and I had savings so for basically like six months, nine months, I did nothing. Wow. I uh, it was like okay. Were you still teaching? I was I was still t- I was taught yoga three days a week, twenty five dollars class, seventy five dollars a week. Wow. You know, and I tried to stuff, but that was nothing. And actually, I I think I might have had to stop teaching because I didn't want it to mess up my unemployment, right? Uh, Which my any income. Right. So my unemployment was a lot more than seventy five dollars a week. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, well, maybe I'll do graphic design because I've been doing graphic design since I was in high school and web design stuff. So I was like, okay, well, there's some programs. So I started doing like online tutorial stuff, learning all these like other programs and stuff that I didn't really know and then trying to do graphic design work on the side. And then it was like, Ashley and I had been talking about moving down to LA and we're just like, yeah, screw it. Let's do it. Let's move to LA and be yoga teachers, and I'll teach graphic design on the side, you know, and we'll try to make it work. And the first place I got hired on was at like a CrossFit gym, and then at this other like Kundalini studio. And I was doing graphic design, and it was just like teaching a million classes to nobody, you know, empty rooms, and um, we were just really struggling. Uh, and then Instagram started to take off, and Equinox offered me a job based on my Instagram. And then yoga got a job at the yoga loft, which I'd always wanted to work at because all like the teachers I respected worked there. And Equinox, all the teachers I respected worked there. And so, can you name some of those teachers? At, at yoga loft or yeah, like places. well, like Brock, who I'd been coming down to take Brock and Krista Cahill, like I've been coming down to take. Uh, they both taught there. Angela Kukan taught there. I'm like, these are all like awesome yoga teachers that I really, you know, I want to take them. And then Equinox, you know, you had Bry and Dice, um, Brent, like all these awesome teachers. And I was like, I want to, you know, that was like the, the, like you don't teach for yoga works, so you teach for Equinox, you know, mm-hmm. that's like the, so I'm like, I want to teach for them. And I just, these jobs were offered and it was like okay now I'm teaching a million classes a week <laughs> how'd you balance that? Oh, just, um, I lost it in my own personal practice just didn't go as well I mean I still really try to keep it up but it's hard that's one of the, the struggles of being a yoga teacher is learning how to teach have a personal practice and then still go and take classes you know cause like you think of the, the three jewels of the Buddha, you know, the first one's the Buddha. That's like 
the the that's the enlightenment, right? Mm-hmm. Our highest potential. Um, the next one's the Dharma, right? That's the teachings of everything to reach it, the highest potential. And the last one's the Sagna, which is that's the community, right? And that's where inspiration comes from. And without that that jewel, without that community, your practice becomes stagnant. Without inspiration, you become stagnant. Right, so that's such an I, I you know it's such an important part of my practice is to take other teachers, and to be inspired. That way, I can continue to inspire. Right, nice. and you know, yoga it it all comes down to the same thing. It all comes down to community. It all comes down to connection. So. Yeah, and then I I, I started learning balance. I like said screw it, I quit half my classes. Said I'm not teach. I don't need to teach all these classes. As soon as I did that, it's picked up a bunch of privates. It's like okay, sweet. You know, and then I was like, I have too many of these. I'm gonna get rid of some of these and some more of these. And as soon as I did that, then I started booking workshops all over the world. You know, and then it's like kind of like it was letting like, go of the things that didn't serve you, and then right. for letting go of those things that didn't serve you, or allowing that space to fulfill the things that right. Did. And that was just every time I did, you know, every time I took this leap of faith of whatever, I've been rewarded. And now it's like, okay, well, do I need to let go of more? You know, and it's, a, it's, <laughs> it's always like a scary thing, but kind of it's, I mean, I've been down in LA for like one year and I can't even, I can't even believe like how my career as a yoga teacher, I actually have a career as a yoga teacher where I thought, uh, I'm gonna move to LA and just struggle and live in a little shitty place and you know. Yeah, you have a gorgeous place and it seems like things are going pretty well traveling and yeah. life is enjoyable. You have a new fiance and yeah. that's beautiful. So I don't know if you, I really believe if you open it up to the universe and you put it out there that it'll happen. You know. If if, if you're willing, if you're ready for it, it happens. Can you give me some insight as to some of your meditative practice or how your practice has blossomed into um, more of the limbs of yoga? And maybe describe some of those limbs. Because I remember you saying that you are having a Pratyahara class tomorrow. Okay. So I'm going to... I'm gonna, kind of take your question, I'm going to tweak it a little bit more into like what I want to talk about. Okay, that works. <laughs> no, but it's, so, be, because it comes down to a lot of like, uh, when people see a practice like ours, mm-hmm. you know, which is handstands and arm balances, and it's showing, it's flashing, and they don't, from an outside perspective, that's what it looks like, and when you take pictures of that and stuff, that's all you see. When I first started doing handstands, it was great. It was like, awesome, I could do a handstand, this is fun. But it was really, why I do handstands is because of what handstands have taught me. Mm-hmm. Right. The first part that whenever you come into a handstand is there's a fear base. There's, there's a fear element. And maybe for some people that's really high and other people it's really low. I've tried to recreate recreate that fear element by taking my handstands to some pretty crazy places just so that I could 
still experience that same thing. Not that I'm trying to be dangerous or crazy or anything like that, but uh, it's part of the practice. It's part of understanding yourself. Um, a handstand teaches you more about yourself than most poses. It helps you understand who you are. To trust yourself, it requires balance. There's You have to find your breath, stillness, meditation, concentration. So uh, my teacher Christopher told me, he's like, you know, find Tadasana. Because I remember we had a class, this was when I was new in my teacher training, you know, how Tadasana is mountain pose, mm -hmm. right? Solid, it doesn't move. I mean, it is, like, if you take every pose and you treat it like it's Tadasana, right? Yeah, every very, pose is... Very strong, grounded. Right. And so, it's my journey started becoming, how can I make handstand Tadasana? And how can I find my meditation in handstand? And, and that's really like where my inversion practice started to come because I, I think I had um, an addiction to being present, which is kind of funny. What does that mean? So, I don't know where it is because I feel like it's the opposite for most people that we try to not be present, right? We try to be do everything that we can to distract ourselves from what's really going on. But I always wanted to be like present, like what's here now. And I got big into skydiving, you know? So that yeah. was like one of those things, like I got my skydiving license, I was jumping all the time. Um, I was like, this is, you know, you can really be present when you're hurling yourself out of a, out of a plane, you know? <laughs> like, but even something like that, you, after a while, it becomes routine. It becomes mundane. It becomes unless you're like Jeb Corliss and you get like you know, I actually I have a, I have a picture of me and Jeb. Like, Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. I, I, oh, I saw him. Oh and I was like, oh my god! You know, he's like in his whole black wingsuit. But still, I mean, even him, you know, he might at times lose lose that. And even in handstand, I do the same thing. But it was like I was taking myself to an extreme place to find such the thing that didn't need to be extreme. Mm -hmm. And so the practice, the yoga practice, like when I come into handstands, and it's really every pose, but handstand is like, it amplifies that to really help find the present, your breath. And to come into a handstand and close your eyes and put your head down and feel the body and notice your your proprioceptors feeding back and, the whole, and just to feel everything. And the blood coming to your head and it's just, it changes your meditation and it changes your practice there's a reason why yogis meditated in headstand mm -hmm. right and i don't like being on my head i like being on my hands <laughs> you don't headstand at all i do but not that much no do you feel like a lot of pressure or would it even uh it's more like i feel limitation in headstand yeah yeah just of the variance of i feel like i could hold I don't know. I feel like I could hold my meditation longer in a handstand. And I've got to the point where I could hold a or a handstand with my head down and my eyes closed for over five minutes. Wow. Breathing. 
you know, so it's like, that's really become a journey there. And that, and it's, it's through all our balances. It's just like, when you come into an arm balance or something, you're really coming into the present moment because it requires so much concentration, so much strength, flexibility, balance, breath, all of it is needed up front, right, for you to accomplish that pose. And then if it gets too easy, there's another level that you could take it. And there's always another level that you could keep bringing it up to keep you in that same place. You know, it's the, the evolution of your practice. And so to be able to take something like such a strong asana and to connect it to the pranayama, to the breathing, allows you to enter into the pratyahara, which is the inward, inward drawing of the senses. And then you can come into your concentration and your meditation and you move towards enlightenment. And so it's really just a linear base of, you know, starting with trying to find balance and who you are through your own life and how you conduct yourself as a person to discovering what's below the neck, you know, and finding your body. And then it's about taking your body and connecting it back to the mind and using the the breath to become that bridge and then with that breath and the mind and the body connected then you start to bring everything inward to find where the seed is right and then once you find that seed then you can start to nourish it and watch it grow and that's how we we come to enlightenment you know that's where the meditation comes from so it's a handstand could just be a handstand or it could be uh you know a doorway to a whole world of understanding and what you see in a picture is is so just two-dimensional you know and you can never understand really the journey behind that until you're in it and that's where my obsession with handstands and arm balances came from and that's why I practice them so much because it's not that the handstand that I'm obsessed with, it's what's behind the handstand that, that, um, you know, that I can't stop. Just take me to your definition of yoga and why you feel it's so profound that you've actually devoted your life towards the practice of yoga. I think... I think we look too much into like defining what yoga is, or maybe not all of us, because I can't speak for all of us, but I think a, a lot of people is like, yoga is this, yoga is that. And I really feel like yoga is connection. I mean, yoga means union, that's obvious, you know, mm -hmm. you look at Wikipedia and, and find that. But yoga is, is a connection to yourself and how you connect to the universe, right? I'm you, you're me, you know, mm -hmm. we're the same. And when you start to realize that we're all the same, then things like hate and prejudice and judgment and insecurities and all that stuff start to go away. And so most people that get in to exercise, they stick with it for a month, two months, a year, 10 years, right? because they're going for just the physical body. 
That's just that, to achieve one thing. Just achieve one thing. Let's get skinnier. Right, yeah, yeah. Let's get stronger. Let's get more flexible. Whatever it is, they're going for that, but they're neglecting the whole, which is the connectivity, right, to mm-hmm. everything else. Like, so when yoga is all of that. And when you start to practice being the best possible you and learning how to connect into that and really we're all going for I mean the yoga path is to samadhi which is enlightenment you know and I think everyone is going for that so when you or at least happiness everyone wants to be happy if you take it beyond happiness it's free from suffering right that's the next step past happiness which people don't really um seem to get to but if you could go to get to a point where you're free from suffering you know and you see what that journey is of course you want to be on it mm-hmm. do you think that that's attainable um I mean I believe that there's people that have obtained it and you know there's always like do it or die trying right (laughs) so that's kind of uh, that's kind of like how I approach it like do I ever think I'll be there you know I don't know but I'm gonna you know I'm gonna try my best like I still have all my demons and stuff that I have to deal with you know to get past it yoga helps me you know so there's no reason to stop. So if you could give one nugget of advice to our yogis listening, to people all over the world who've tuned into the Yogi Journey podcast today, what would that nugget of advice be? Just, it's, get on your mat every day. Doesn't matter what you do once you get there, but make the effort to at least put two feet on there. Well, the Yoga Journey podcast community is better for this interview and for your time. And we're really thankful for your insight. Thank you. This is, uh, this is great. For more inspiration from Dylan Warner, check out his website, dylanwarneryoga.com. You can also check him out on Instagram for quick tutorials and awesome inspiration. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and drop us a five-star review if you truly appreciate the interviews we do. You can find us on SoundCloud, YouTube, and Instagram too. Until next time, live light, shine bright. Namaste, yogis. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.